section twenty eight of egypt africa and arabia this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the world's story volume three egypt africa and arabia edited by eva march tappan section twenty eight in the brickfields by rev j h ingram about twenty stadia or nearly four miles from the city we came suddenly upon a vast desolate field upon which thousands of men seemed to be engaged in the occupation of making brick as we drew near for the royal road we were traversing passed directly through this busy multitude i saw by their faces that the toilers were of that mysterious race the hebrew people i say mysterious for though i have now been six weeks in egypt i have not yet found any of the egyptians who can tell me whence came this nation now in bondage to the pharaohs either those whom i questioned were ignorant of their rise or purposely refrained from talking with a foreigner upon the subject you will remember that i once inquired of rameses as to their origin and present degradation and he said he would at some other time reply to my question since then i have had no opportunity of introducing the subject again to him other objects wholly absorbing our attention when we met yet in the interim i was forced irresistibly to notice these people and their hard tasks for though they were never seen in the streets mingling with the citizens save only in palaces where handsome hebrew youths often serve as pages yet where temples and granaries and walls and arsenals and treasure-houses were being erected they were to be found in vast numbers old and young men women and children without distinction were engaged in the plain across which we moved pardon me noble prince i said permit me to linger a moment to survey this novel scene rameses drew up his horses and from the chariot i cast my eyes over the vast level which embraced half a square league these fields sesostris said the prince are where the bricks are made which are to erect the walls of the treasure city one of the towers of which you behold two miles distant the city itself will take the years of a generation of this people to complete if the grand design is carried out on the left of the tower you see the old palace for this is not a new city we are building so much as an extension of the old on a new site and with greater magnificence it is my mother's pride to fill egypt with monuments of architecture that will mark her reign as an era the scene that i beheld from the height of the chariot i will attempt to describe as far as i could see the earth was dark with people some stooping down and with wooden mattocks digging up the clay others were piling it into heaps 
others were chopping straw to mix with the clay others were treading it with their feet to soften it some with moulds were shaping the clay into bricks another stood by with the queen's mark and stamped each brick therewith or the one which was to be the head of a course when laid there were also the strongest men employed in raising upon the shoulders of others a load of these bricks which they bore to a flat open space to be dried in the sun and a procession of many hundreds was constantly moving performing this task some of the slaves carried yokes which had cords at each end to which bricks were fastened and many of the young men conveyed masses of clay upon their heads to the moulders those who carried the brick to the smoothly swept ground where they were to be dried delivered them to women who many hundreds in number placed them side by side on the earth in rows a lighter task than that of the men the borders of this busy plain where it touched the fields of stubble wheat were thronged with women and children gathering straw for the men who mixed the clay it was an active and busy spectacle yet throughout the vast arena not a voice was heard from the thousands of toilers only the sharp authoritative tones of their taskmasters broke the stillness or the creaking of carts with wooden wheels as laden with straw from the distant fields they moved slowly over the plain the laborers were divided into companies or parties of from a score to one hundred persons over whom stood or was seated an egyptian officer these taskmasters were not only distinguishable from the laborers by their linen bonnet or cap with a cape descending to the neck but by a scarlet or striped tunic and a rod or whip of a single thong or of small cords these men watched closely the workmen who naked above the waist with only a loin-cloth upon many of them worked each moment in fear of the lash the taskmaster showed no mercy but if the labourer sunk under his burden he was punished on the spot and left to perish if he were dying and his burden transferred to the shoulders of another so vast was the multitude of these people that the death of a score a day would not have been regarded indeed their increase already alarms the egyptians and their lives therefore are held in little estimation the vast revenue however accruing to the crown from this enslaved nation of brickmakers leads to regulations which in a great measure check the destructive rigor of the taskmasters for not only are thousands building cities but tens of thousands are dispersed all over lower egypt who make brick to sell to nobles and citizens the crown having the monopoly of this branch of labor interest alone has not prompted the queen to make laws regulating their treatment and lessening the rigor of their lot but also humanity which is however an attribute in its form of pity little cultivated in egypt under the preceding pharaohs for seventy years 
the condition of these hebrews was far more severe than it has been under the milder reign of the queen i am assured that she severely punishes all unnecessary cruelty and has lightened the tasks of the women who also may not be punished with blows i surveyed this interesting and striking scene with emotions of wonder and commiseration i could not behold without the deepest pity venerable and august-looking old men with grey heads and flowing white beards smeared with clay stooping over the wooden moulds coarsely clad in the blue and grey loin-cloth which scarcely concealed their nakedness or fine youths bareheaded and burned red with the sun toiling like cattle under heavy burdens here and there upon a naked shoulder visible a fresh crimson line where the lash or the rod of an angered officer had left its mark there were young girls too whose beautiful faces though sunburned and neglected would have been the envy of fair ladies in any court these as well as the others of their sex wore a sort of tight gown of coarse material tied at the neck with short close sleeves reaching to the elbow their black or brown hair was tied in a knot behind or cut short and occasionally i saw a plain silver or other metallic ring upon a small hand showing that even bondage has not destroyed in woman the love of jewels as we rode along those egyptians who were near the road bowed the knee to the prince and remained stationary until he passed we rode for a mile and a half through this brick field when at its extremity we came upon a large mean town of huts composed of reeds and covered with straw there said rameses are the dwellings of the laborers you have seen these huts formed long streets or lanes which intersected each other in all directions there was not a tree to shade them the streets and doors were crowded with children and old hebrew women who were left to watch them while their parents were in the field there seemed to be a dozen children to every house and some of five and six years were playing at brick-making one of their number acting as a taskmaster holding a whip which he used with a willingness and frequency that showed how well the egyptian officers had taught the lesson of severity and cruelty to the children of their victims in these huts dwelt forty thousand hebrews who were engaged either in making brick or conveying them to rameses close at hand or in placing them in mortar upon the walls we passed through the very midst of this wretched village of bondmen whose only food in their habitations is garlic and leeks and fish or flesh their drink the turbid water of the nile unfiltered from its impurities by means of porous stone and paste of almonds a process of art so well known to the egyptians on the skirts of the village was a vast burial-place without a tomb or stone for these hebrews are too poor and miserable to embalm their dead even if customs of their own did not lead them to place them in the earth the aspect of this melancholy place of sepulture was gloomy enough it had the look of a vast ploughed plain but infinitely desolate and hideous when the imagination pictured the corruption that lay beneath each narrow mound 
I felt a sensation of relief when we left this spot behind and drove upon a green plateau which lay between it and the treasure city of the king the place we were crossing had once been the garden of hermes or yosef the celebrated prince who about one hundred and thirty years ago saved the inhabitants of egypt from perishing by famine having received from the god osiris knowledge of a seven years famine to befall the kingdom after seven years of plenty this prince yosef or joseph was also called hermes though he wrote not all the books attributed to hermes as we in phoenicia understand of that personage was this joseph an egyptian i asked of the prince rameses as we dashed past the ruins of a palace in the midst of the gardens no a hebrew he answered he was the favorite of the phoenician pharaoh who commenced the palaces of this city of treasure a hebrew i exclaimed not one of the race i behold about me tolling toward the city with sun-dried bricks upon their heads and whom i have seen at work on the plain of bricks of the same he answered your reply reminds me o rameses that you have promised to relate to me the history of this remarkable people who evidently from their noble physiognomies belong to a superior race i will redeem my promise my dear sesostris he said smiling as soon as i have left the chariot by yonder ruined well where i see the architect and his people whom i have come hither to meet await me with their drawings and rules we soon drove up to the spot having passed several fallen columns which had once adorned the baths of the house of this hebrew prince who had once been such a benefactor to egypt but as he was the favorite of a phoenician king the present dynasty neglect his monuments as well as deface all those which the shepherd kings erected to perpetuate their conquest hence it is i find scarcely a trace of the dominion in lower egypt of this race of kings the ruined well was a massive quadrangle of stone and was called the fountain of the strangers it was in ruins yet the well itself sparkled with clear water as in its ancient days grouped upon a stone platform beneath the shade of three palms stood the party of artists who awaited the prince their horses and the cars in which they came or brought their instruments stood near held by slaves who were watering the animals from the fountain upon the approach of the prince these persons the chief of whom was attired handsomely as a man of rank for architects in egypt are nobles and are in high place at court bowed the knee reverently before him he alighted from his chariot and at once began to examine their drawings leaving him engaged in a business which i perceived would occupy him some time i walked about looking at the ancient fountain in order to obtain a view of the country i ascended a tower at one of its angles which elevated me sixty feet above the plain from this height i beheld the glorious city of the sun a league and a half to the north rising above its girdle of gardens in all its splendour in the mid-distance lay the plain of brick-workers covered with its tens of thousands of busy workers in clay then nearer still stretched their squalid city of huts and the gloomy burial-place bordering on the desert at the farther boundary turning to the south the treasure city of rameses lay before me the one 
half ancient and ruinous but the other rising in grand outlines and vast dimensions stretching even to the nile which shining and majestic flowed to the west of it farther still the pyramids of memphis the city itself of apis and the walls and temples of Gizah towered in noble perspective the nile was lively with galleys ascending and descending and upon the road that followed its banks many people were moving either on foot in palanquins chariots or upon horseback over the whole scene the bright sun shone giving life and brightness to all i beheld to the east the illimitable desert stretched far away and i could trace the brown line of road along which the caravans travel between the nile cities and the port of suez on the sea of ezion geber in order to unlade there for ships from farther end that are awaiting them almost beneath the crumbling tower on which i stood taking in this wide view of a part of the populous valley of the nile wound a broad path well trodden by thousands of naked feet it was now crowded with hebrew slaves some going to the city with burdens of brick slung at the extremities of wooden yokes laid across the shoulder or borne upon their heads and others returning to the plain after having deposited their burdens it was a broad path of tears and sighs and no loitering step was permitted by the overseers for even if one would stop to quench his thirst at the fountain he was beaten forward and the blows accompanied with execrations alas this cruel bondage of the hebrews is the only dark spot which i have seen in egypt the only shadow of evil upon the brilliant reign of queen Amense. i took one more survey of the wide landscape which embraces the abodes of one million of souls for in the valley of egypt are fourteen thousand villages towns and cities and a population of nearly seven millions yet the valley of the nile is a belt of verdure only a few miles wide bounded by the libyan and arabian hills every foot of soil seems occupied and every acre teems with population in the streets in the gardens in the public squares in temples and courts of palaces in the field or on the river one can never be alone for he sees human beings all about him thronging every place and engaged either in business or pleasure or the enjoyment of the luxury of idleness in the shade of a column or a tree descending the tower and seeing the prince still engaged with his builders pointing to the unfinished towers of rameses and the site of the new palace he proposed erecting near by i went down the steps to the fountain to quaff its cool waters here i beheld an old and majestic-looking man bending over a youth a wound in whose temple he was bathing tenderly with water from the well i perceived at a glance from the aquiline nose and lash-shaded dark bright eye that they were hebrews the old man had one of those abrahamic faces i have described as extant on the tomb of eliezer of damascus a broad extensive and high forehead a boldly shaped eagle nose 
full lips and a flowing beard which would have been white as wool but that it was stained yellow by the sun and soil he wore the coarse short trousers and body cloth of the bond slave and old sandals bound upon his feet with ropes the young man was similarly dressed he was pale and nearly lifeless his beautiful head lay upon the edge of the fountain and as the old man poured from the palm of his hand water upon his face he repeated a name perhaps the youth's i stood fixed with interest by the scene at this moment an egyptian taskmaster entered and with his rod struck the venerable man several sharp blows and ordered him to rise and go to his task he made no reply regarded not the shower of blows but bending his eyes tearfully upon the marble face before him with his fingers softly removed the warm drops of blood that stained the temples nay i said quickly to the egyptian do not beat him see he is old and is caring for this poor youth the egyptian looked at me with an angry glance as if he would also chastise the speaker for interfering when seeing from my appearance that i was a man of rank and perceiving also the prince through a passage in the ruined wall he bent his forehead low and said my lord i did not see you or i would have taken the idle greybeard out and beaten him but why beat him i asked his load awaits him on the road where he dropped it when my second officer struck down this young fellow who stopped to gaze at a chariot what relation do they bear to each other said i this is the old man's youngest son he is a weak fool my lord about him and though as you see he can hardly carry a full load for himself he will try and add to his own a part of the bricks the boy should bear come old man leave the boy and on to your work the aged hebrew raised to my face a look of despair trembling with mute appeal as if he expected no interposition yet had no other hope left leave them here i said i will be responsible for the act but i am under a chief captain who will make me account to him for every brick not delivered the tale of bricks that leaves the plain and that which is received are taken and compared i have a certain number of men and boys under me and they have to make up in their loads a given tale of bricks between sun and sun if they fail i lose my wages this was spoken sullenly what is thy day's wages i demanded a quarter of a scarabaeus he answered this is the common cheap coin bearing the sacred beetle cut in stone copper lead and even wood higher values are represented by silver bronze brass and gold rings money in disc form i have not yet heard of in egypt an egyptian's purse is a necklace of gold rings of greater or less value the scarabaeus is often broken in four pieces each fraction containing a hieroglyphic the value is about equal to a syrian nefer i placed in his hand a copper scarabaeus and said go thy way this shall justify thee to thy conscience these hebrews are too helpless to be of further service to thee this day the taskmaster took the money with a smile of gratification and at once left the court of the fountain 
the old hebrew looked at me with grateful surprise caught my hand pressed it to his heart and then covered it with kisses i smiled upon him with friendly sympathy and stooping down raised the head of the young man upon my knee by our united aid he was soon restored to sensibility he surveyed me with mingled fear and wonder my lord is good fear him not israel said the old man the youth looked incredulous and had his strength permitted would have fled away from me i said i am not thy taskmaster dread not my presence the tone of my voice reassured him he smiled gently and an expression of gladness lighted up his eyes a drop of blood trickled down his forehead and increased the paleness of his skin what is thy name i asked the old man speaking in syriac for in that tongue i had heard him murmur the name of his son and i have since found that all hebrews of the older class speak this language or rather syro chaldaic they also understand and speak the egyptian vernacular ben isaac my lord he answered art thou in bondage i and my children as my fathers were what brought thee and thy people into the servitude it is a sad history my lord art thou then a stranger in egypt that thou art ignorant of the story of the hebrew i am a phoenician i have been but a few weeks in egypt phoenicia that is beyond edom nay beyond philistia he said musingly our fathers came farther even from palestine who were your fathers abraham isaac and jacob i have heard of them three princes of syria many generations past yes my lord of phoenicia said the venerable man his eyes lighting up they were princes in their land but lo this day behold their children in bondage and such a servitude he cried raising his withered hands heavenward death my lord is preferable to it how long must we groan in slavery how long our little ones bear the yoke of egypt at this moment one of the footmen of prince rameses found me and said my lord prince seeks for thee i put money in the hands of the venerable hebrew and his son and left them amid their expressions of grateful surprise End of section twenty eight this recording is in the public domain